are the top methods of Russian propaganda. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. In this episode of our Propaganda Diary, we look at the top methods of Russian propaganda which it has used during the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. We analyze how Kremlin propagandists mirror the opponent's arguments, deny Ukraine's existence, dehumanize Ukrainians and other nations, sanctify their aggression, use conspiracy theories, bring out pseudo-experts, and use other methods of manipulation, distortion, and disinformation. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. In this episode, I speak to Ukraine World analyst Anastasia Herasimchuk. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine, brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our humanitarian trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resistinggmail.com. Okay, so we're continuing our series Propaganda Diary, and I'm happy to welcome Anastasia Harasimchuk, our analyst at Ukraine World. Uh, good afternoon, Nastya. Uh, hello, Volodya. So let's discuss uh, the topic that we agreed uh, to discuss with you today, the methods of Russian propaganda. We know that this is a painful story to analyze every week, what is going on, what people say, what Russian propagandists say. Uh, but it is important to, to, you know, to summarize something, to generalize. So uh, you analyze these key methods of the Russian propaganda. Maybe you will just uh, tell me what are these key methods? Uh, yes, Volodya. Observing, uh, researching the Russian propaganda, following their methods, um, made me understand the main um method, the main tools Russians use to create this parallel reality they want their citizens to live in. And here we can talk about the methods. There are several important ones that we observe very often. And of course, we can talk about the principles under which these methods uh, work. So if we talk about methods of like the most widespread, the widespread, the most favorite ones uh, of Russian propagandists are such methods as mirroring, for example, uh, I will list them and then we will um, dwell on them right, okay. in more details. So they use the method of mirroring, dehumanization of uh, their targeted victim. Uh, they deny Ukraine's existence. They also use methods of sanctifying the war or present their actions as civilizational mission. Uh, they also use conspiracy as their method, uh, pseudo-expertise. And uh, if we talk about functional principles, of course, they prepare psychologically their audience. They act fast. Their informational attacks are massive. They use mm, various channels at the same time, and they are not committed to consistency. That's very interesting. Let's let's go one by one. And the first is mirroring. So what do you mean by mirroring? Mirroring is one of the favorite tactics of Russian propagandists. Uh, basically, that's um, the accusation 
Ukraine or other countries of what Russia is doing itself. Uh, for example, before the full-scale invasion, one of uh, Russian journalists, Alexander Kotz, uh, he talk, uh, talked about um, NATO operations, and he said uh, literally this thing. At present, at least 10 NATO military facilities are located on the territory of Ukraine. There are about 4,000 U.S. military and about 8,300 military from other countries of the North Atlantic Alliance. Uh, actually, it was the time when Russians um, were sending their troops to, war to Ukrainian-Russian border and they were uh, preparing the full-scale invasion. So here we see that uh, they were accusing the NATO states of what they actually did themselves. That's very interesting. The same so, situation. Yeah, that's very interesting mm -hmm. because they invade the country and then they saying that this is a defense war, that uh, the other other people invaded the country. It's not Ukraine is invaded by Russia, but Ukraine is invaded by NATO, and therefore they enter, they step in to uh, to protect it. Is that what what they're saying? Exactly. They are trying to deliver exactly this message. Uh, and by this uh, method of mirroring, they are trying to um, find excuses for uh, or justify their actions in, uh, in, in front of their public. Uh, like very similar example, uh, when they say about Ukrainian army, uh, which uh, doesn't consider their people to be human beings, for example, they say that the Ukrainian army kills their civilians or the Ukrainian army doesn't care about wounded Ukrainian soldiers. Uh, they actively spread these messages in their news, like every day they tell such stories. But we know very well that that's exactly Russian tactics of waging um, war. And uh, by uh, mirroring their actions, they actually justify uh, their actions. They say that we are doing it because Ukrainians are uh, savages. We are doing that because NATO countries who are going to attack us. That's the easiest way of creating this parallel reality in um, for their audience. They even don't need to um, come up with new ideas or lie. They just take their actions and put their actions into someone else's hands. That's that's very important, and I think this is one of the explanations of the current war. And actually, the 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 method of the Russian ideology, I would say, for centuries, which was you know, it it didn't appear now, it didn't appear ten years ago. It was actually here for centuries. And when some classic Russian literature is portraying, for example, Ukrainians or Georgians or other peoples as savages as cruel people that have to be civilized, uh, quote, end quote, end quote. So, of course, they justify their own action, their own cruelty towards these people. And from this mirroring, we come to the next point, which is what you call de dehumanization. And I think this is one of the key things of the propaganda, of any kind of propaganda. And I think uh, recently we kind of shifted, we, I mean, the international discourse, was shifting the focus of propaganda from uh, to to the concept of disinformation, fake news, meaning that the goal of the propaganda is to lie, is to deceive, 
I think that personally that deception and lies and fake news are an instrument of the propaganda, not the goal of the propaganda. The goal of the propaganda is to dehumanize the enemy, is to say that the enemy doesn't really exist or doesn't have a right to exist. So you have uh, examples of it. Um, can you Can you elaborate? Yes, Volodya, exactly. This dehumanization method uh, serves exactly to this end, to make uh, Russians think that Russia is fighting not with human beings. Uh, they want Russians uh, to think that Ukrainians aren't someone real. They are either someone inferior, not human beings, or someone uh, monstrous and uh, cruel, but again, not human beings. And uh, while observing and uh, researching Russian propaganda, I faced really shocking examples uh, of Russians of what Russians say about Ukrainians. Uh, and but but before giving you examples, I would also like to mention that they uh, use several tactics of dehumanization at the same time. On the one hand, they mock at Ukrainians. They say that Ukrainians are stupid, uh, inferior people. For example, one of the most notorious Russian propagandists, Anton Krasovsky, in his program, Antonyme, back in October, he told that Ukraine is a state of people who can't even build roads. So he wanted to humiliate Ukrainians, saying that they cannot do actually anything. Or one of the so-called uh, Donetsk People's Republic uh, and now he is a war journalist and blogger, Vladlian Tatarsky. In his telegram, he also told that uh, Ukrainians are people who are degrading to a savage state. There are also journalists who want to humiliate Ukraine as much as possible. For example, there is uh, one journalist, Vladimir Skachko. Uh, he is present on so many uh, political shows and news programs. And on one of the Russian TV channels, TVC, uh, there is a program, like bi-weekly program, in the center of events. And in November uh, in 2022, he told that Ukrainians are rednecks. And he said directly this thing. The redneck is happy because he doesn't know that he is a redneck. Because he is sure that he is a normal one. And the tragedy of modern Ukraine is that Ukrainianism in Ukraine is developing. And uh, it is being restored in the form of a certain norm. And he said that these stinking Ukrainian rednecks have been declared the titular nation and it have been declared the norm. So can you imagine how much they, how much hatred uh, they translate, they show to Russian public when they, on the central TV channels, they allow themselves to use this derogatory language. It's interesting. So that, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting it's that quite shocking. that Mr. Skachko is actually comes from Ukraine. He was present in the Ukrainian information space, and he was always working on these pro-Russian information sources. And I think that Russians are using these people um, just to, you know, as an example of these Ukrainians who come from Ukraine and are ready to uh, denigrate their own nation. It's actually one of the interesting and maybe dramatic and tragic patterns is that uh, some of the cruel perpetrators in the Russian army 
they actually have relatives in Ukraine or they come from Ukraine. And some of the Russian propagandists or even politicians like uh, Mrs. Matvienko, they also come from Ukraine. So there is kind of this post-colonial also feeling that they they left Ukraine and therefore they 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 kind of uh, persuade themselves that they did, they did the right thing, that they, they have made a good choice by leaving Ukraine for Russia. It's it's very interesting and, and also psychoanalytically maybe interesting to analyze why why this is happening. Uh, Mr. Krasovsky is also well known for uh, his absolutely horrible remark uh, about that that uh, that Russians should Russians should have droned the Ukrainian children and and put them uh, the children in the western Ukraine just throw them into the river so that they didn't uh, didn't um, grow into the adults. He was also known for his dancing uh, um, uh, very uh, in a very satisfied way when Russians started these massive missile attacks on Ukrainian civilian infrastructure on the 10th of October. He was so happy, he was dancing, he was filming himself. So this is kind of people which are really in this dehumanizing dehumanizing discourse. Let's move on and uh, another method of the Russian propaganda is also we touched upon a little bit denying Ukraine's existence and the goal of the propaganda of course is to say that basically your enemy doesn't really exist. Dehumanizing is to say that your enemy is so bad and so cruel that it doesn't have a right to exist while denying the existence is to say that well there is no really Ukraine, there are just, you know, distorted Russians, spoiled Russians, and therefore we should not be afraid of waging the war against it and just bringing this country to the normal. What what can you say about this? I absolutely agree with you uh, regarding your remark. The Russians use this technique, they deny Ukraine's existence, just to portray Ukraine and Ukrainians themselves as a kind of historical mistake. And it's uh, so, like, in understanding of Russians, it's so easy to correct this mistake. It's kind of a mission to correct a mistake. Like, they can think, what Ukrainians are you talking about? They didn't exist. They are Russians, in fact. They are Russians who lost their mind, who were um, influenced by Western propaganda, and they forgot that they are Russians. So let's correct this mistake by, if if they do not understand what we say let's just destroy them because it's a mistake that's the main aim of russian propaganda while while they are using this technique and you and know using this method yeah, yeah go ahead go ahead when they use this technique uh, they deny existence of very um, essential parts of Ukrainianness. They deny the existence of a state. They deny the existence of the whole nation. They deny existence of language, existence of culture. They rewrite the history. Uh, they reinvent uh, the historical facts. Like, for example, uh, it was so shocking to know that, according to Russians, turned out it turns out that the Ukrainian history was invented by Mikhail Grushevsky at the order of Austro-Hungarian rulers. Just because Austro-Hungarians didn't want the Western parts of Ukraine get into the sphere of influence of uh, Russia. 
they say the same thing about Ukrainian language, as if the local Russian dialect was taken, uh, some uh, rules were invented just to create an artificial language so that the Ukrainians would think that they have their own language and they cannot be a part of Russian influence. And it was also made at the order of Austro-Hungarians, uh, in opinion of Russian propagandists. That's very important, and we see this play with history, and actually this play is, is never like uh, open lies. Uh, the propaganda is, is the most dangerous when it takes some part of the reality and uses this part of the reality to distort the whole picture. Because, of course, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Russian Empire were kind of competing for Ukraine and using the Ukrainian uh, question in the 19th century for their own goals. And by the way, Habsburg Empire, uh, to which uh, Hrushevsky uh, actually uh, spent some time, uh, uh, and, and, and some other leading I I intellectual figures of Ukraine, was much more liberal than Russia. At least one, one fact that publications in Ukrainian language were allowed while Russian Empire uh, in the late, in the second half of the 19th century, forbidden the Ukrainian language at all. But it's, it's important, yeah, that this version of the Russian history is very linear and very straightforward. It's not historical at all. Uh, and, uh, and the very idea of Russia as a nation is actually a product of the 19th century, as for many nations in Europe. And in this respect, Ukrainians were even a bit, um, some years or some decades uh, before, uh, ahead of the Russian, Russian kind of a nationalism. But while they invented this idea of a Russian state, they, they pulled it back to the medieval times, to the Rus of Kiev. And from that moment, they say, okay, Rus of Kiev, this medieval state, which is in many aspects the origin of today's Ukraine, uh, this was a state, this was actually Russia. And therefore, if they kind of annexed this part of Ukrainian history, they could they could annex all the Ukrainian history and say it doesn't really exist. Let's move on, and the the the, the next method is what you're calling sanctifying the war, and it's interesting uh, that how the, the 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 Russian propaganda is changing during this war. And uh, I think we will make an episode, one of the next episodes, uh, focused on this. Because even if we take this question of subjectivity of Ukrainians, we see how Russian propagandists, such as some journalists slash propagandists, such as Shevchenko or Markov or, or some others, were actually starting from the fact that Ukraine doesn't exist, Russian army will take over in a few days. And then when one year have passed, they are now saying that Ukrainian army showed that it is very strong, that it is very difficult to win it. Ukraine exists. It doesn't. It's, it's not really Russia. It's a separate nation, separate people. The same with this idea of of the holy war or sanctifying the war, because initially it was the idea of special military operation, which I mean will not cost much to the Russian state, which will run smoothly. Uh, will be taken in Ukraine will be taken in a few days and now in order to show to its citizens that there are much higher stakes they are now uh, giving this idea of the holy war I, I think it started already in, in, in autumn in September when Russians have suffered great losses and therefore they 
needed to respond by annexing those territories that they have captured. So what we, can we say, what can you say about this narrative of the holy war or civilizational war? Uh, it's a very interesting, uh, the most interesting method of Russian propaganda, I would say. Uh, you're right, Russians started paying uh, extreme attention to this topic by autumn, and especially uh, while we are talking about this religious component, the holy war. But I also want to mention, and it's very important, that uh, the nature of Russian propaganda is like that, uh, that all these messages have existed in Russian information space for long, long years, like starting from 2014. But some narratives, uh, some stories created by Russians were emphasized in a certain parts of, uh, of, of the war. So, for example, we cannot say that this civilizational mission idea wasn't present in Russian information space before autumn, for example. They talked about it even before the full-scale invasion. But at, at the right time, uh, when the previous methods of propaganda get less functional, less effective, they turn to, let's say, old new ones, and they start highlighting new topics. And they are playing with that. Then they change uh, these old new topics with another old new topics. Then they get back to the initial ones. Uh, and it's a never-ending process. And when we talk about this sanctifying the war or civilizational missions, we can find three directions here. First, uh, Russian propaganda really presents uh, its war against Ukraine as a holy war. And um, there is a journalist, Vadim Rogozhin. He works for a fourth estate newspaper and he wrote an article about the nature of this war. And he told that this war, this is a holy war in Ukraine, he says. Perhaps in its meaning and consequences, it will be comparable to the holy great patriotic war. And this idea, this like I quoted him, and this idea was uh, spread in so many different uh, media in Russia. So they compare, uh, they uh, put this religious component of holy war into the frames of great patriotic war. So it's a crazy combination of everything that triggers this uh, patriotic sentiments in Russians. The second part of this method is presenting this war against Ukraine as civilizational war. And what's very important here, this civilizational component was uh, in the media space for really long years. And I will uh, give you a quote now by a very famous political expert in Russia, Givork Mirzayan. He wrote his um, like column, op-ed for uh, Russia Today. And this quote is from 2020. It was November of 2020, like two years before, uh, almost two years before war. He told that the Third World War is already underway, not between states, but between, but between ideologies. The current super-idea global liberalism is in serious internal crisis and is fighting on all fronts with competitors united against it. Among them is the Russian sovereign democracy. So this idea of global liberalism, the West fighting with its competitors, it was in Russia for long years. And here, already in 2020, they emphasized this so-called sovereign democracy of theirs. 
and Russia as a state which can present an alternative model. And of course, they also present this war as a struggle for Russian survival, which is quite uh, interesting. Like a state invades uh, of the other state, kills people in their state, tries to take lands, uh, tries to exterminate the whole nation. And they say the struggle for their survival. That's the most uh, shocking and the most ugly thing about their propaganda. And one of the uh, scholars in Russia, Konstantin Zatulin, he's actually director of the Institute of CIS, CIS countries. He dares to say such things. He says, but more is required to achieve full awareness that this is a patriotic war for the survival of Russia, not of Ukraine. So he says, like, there is this hidden sense here. Either Russia or Ukraine will survive. And it's the whole director of the uh, institute in Russia telling such things. Yeah, Zatulin is a well-known uh, Russian chauvinist. And uh, he was actually playing a big role uh, when people like Medvedchuk and Yanukovych were trying to Russify Ukraine. But... Uh, it's 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 interesting to understand whether this message of Russian survival as the goal of this war is is of course absolutely different goal than initially uh, proclaimed by Putin, which who was saying about denazification of Ukraine, demilitarization, and then fight for Donbas or whatever else. Now they're talking about the survival of Russia. Whether this messaging is actually uh, good or bad for Ukraine, because it can be a sign that Russians are seeing that they are very fragile, they become very fragile with this war, and uh, this is kind of a, a cry of despair that unless we win, uh, we will, Russia will collapse. Uh, but maybe it's bad for Ukraine because it kind of uh, increases the general temperature in the Russian discourse. And... Uh, and and you know it's it's a it's it's a way to even more mobilization of people so the war will actually enter the russian society the very deep uh, elements of the russian society it will be much more present than initially and the question is whether it is good or bad whether whether it will you know provoke some discontent in the russian society against this war or on the contrary it will rather mobilize the spirits of people who are considering that this is again a repetition of the war with Nazism. So this is an open question. Some more uh, some more methods and uh, let's try to be brief. One of them is conspiracy. So Russians are using conspiracy theories a lot a lot uh, many many in many ways. So do you want to develop? Yeah, I will just mention several words about that. We are all familiar with conspiracy theories um, and Russians uh, don't hesitate to use them in their public information space. They like stories about collective West plotting against Russia. And these stories about uh, the U.S. Uh, bio laboratories in the countries around Russia and these stories about these bio laboratories uh, working out the weapons directed, biological weapons directed against the Russian nation. 
uh, or those animals or mosquitoes trained uh, by Americans uh, in Ukraine to exterminate Russians. So all these kind of things uh, connected with plotting against Ukraine are used by Russian propaganda with great pleasure. They even make uh, the whole documentaries on these topics. And actually, they play with history here as well. They say that uh, these plots against Russia were um, present back in the beginning of 1940s. And this uh, activity by the West never stopped. So it's quite interesting that these crazy ideas uh, are spread by some Mm, so-called credible uh, credible actors like uh, scientists or uh, analysts or even politicians. That's quite a, an interesting feature of Russian propaganda. Right. And uh, let's maybe to move to two last uh, principles, la last methods, uh, and they're more like instrumental we have been talking about the yeah. content, but they are the last ones are more instrumental. One is is pseudo expertise, and you already touched upon this. Can you develop? Yes, Russians use uh, fake experts, or they involve real academics, researchers from think tanks to disseminate propaganda. Why do they do that? Just to create a false image of credibility, because people are willingly, uh, they willingly believe in affiliations, positions and degrees. So if they see that it's a director of a certain think tank or a professor at the university, they wouldn't question uh, opinions of such people. And uh, they, such, um, let's call them experts, they play on the very sensitive topics. For example, Mm, the topic of Holodomor is a very acute one uh, in, in Russian propaganda. And there is a scientist, he is a researcher at the Institute of Russian History of the Russian Academy of Science, Alexander Dukov. And he argued that uh, Holodomor was natural famine, it was not artificial. And he told, I'm quoting, back in the 1930s, immediately after the famine, the concept of an artificial famine was the uh, was perpetrated against Ukrainians for uh, and promoted in the West by the organization of Ukrainian na nationalists. So what he was trying to say basically is that um, this uh, tragedy of Holodomor was actually a natural famine, and. Uh, this concept was turned into artificial, uh, artificial famine by, by Ukrainian nationalists, and they were supported by Nazis. So that's uh, something you cannot understand at once. So shockingly uh, distorted it is. So now Russians say that uh, Holodomor was invented by Nazis. Yeah, so again, this is a story when there are parts of truth uh, which are absolutely distorted because, yes, of course, Ukrainian nationalists in Poland in the 30s were actually saying that the leftist project to which Ukrainian Ukraine independents were uh, allying with, the leftist socialist and communist project, and l let me remind that, Basically, Ukrainian national movement in the late 19th century, early 20th century was primarily leftist. It was socialist, it was progressivist, it was 
it was communist, it was whatever else, it was not far right at all, it was rather leftist. And then uh, it came with, with, uh, with in, in collapse, first when the Ukrainian leftist republic, uh, UNR, Ukrainian popular People's Republic, collapsed under the attack of the Bolsheviks, and then when the Ukrainian uh, development in the Soviet Union collapsed, and uh, when basically Stalin killed four million uh, Ukrainian peasants. And of course, for people looking at this from the outside, the the Ukrainians in Poland, this was a sign that no leftist project is, a political project is actually uh, legitimized. And therefore, you need to start from uh, different principles, which are which were at the, at the time nationalist or radical nationalist principles. And uh, but this doesn't mean that the famine was not artificial because we know already so many examples, so many testimonies uh, how basically the the food was was very cruelly confiscated from the peasants, and the peasants were really left to die uh, without any food, without not even grain, but without uh, without animals without eggs without anything so but this is uh, an example how how russian propaganda works indeed yes and it's the whole researcher of uh, russian academy of science that's the most shocking because people wouldn't uh, doubt wouldn't have doubts about what he says because he is a scholar that's a big problem and maybe the last method, uh, you name it functional principles, this is how actually instrumental, what is the instruments of the Russian propaganda. I think we will talk about this in, in more detail one of the our next episodes, but can you maybe briefly uh, elaborate on them? Yeah, sure. To make these methods work, um, some principles should be applied. And uh, one of the most important of them is the prepare, prepare uh, to prepare audience. So the Russian audience was prepared, has been prepared for quite long. Uh, how was it done? By the normalization of violence through the aggressive content in mass media. So for long, long years, Russian TV, Russian radio, Russian social media were feeding Russians with some aggressive content. And up to this point, this aggressiveness, this violence has become something normal, tolerated by certain parts of Russian uh, population. And killing critical thinking is another important functional, functional principle, principles to make those methods effective. And of course, the nature. Russian propaganda is massive. So they, uh, they create so many messages uh, about different topics of different nature. And the amount is really, really huge. They disseminate these messages really fast, which doesn't let people even to digest this. Uh, another principle is multi-channel. Like this Russian propaganda is multi-channel, so you can find this huge amount of fast-spreading uh, messages in every kind of media, starting from TV, finishing with uh, communities and social media. And of course, no commitment to consistency. Russian, Russian propagandists do not care about consistency. That's why they do not fact-check. Uh, they do not uh, try to be trustworthy. 
And that's why they can spread their and create their messages in this massive, fast and multi-channel way. Thank you, Nastya. Thank you so much for this analysis. This was a serious um, propaganda diary in which we analyze Russian propaganda, Kremlin propaganda during this war. Uh, my name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of Ukraine World. And my guest is um, Anastasia Herasimchuk, who is our analyst and journalist who analyzes Russian propaganda. Thank you, Nastya, again. Uh, let me remind you Thank that you, you, can, you, can, you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen uh, to, to the podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, um, SoundCloud, Spotify. And you can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Also support our humanitarian trips, volunteer trips to the front line at PayPal, Ukraine.resisting, Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.